It's Philosophy Talk. Hello, Mrs. Bush. Hi, Bart. Mr. Bush is upstairs napping. You know, it's time for him to get up and work on his memoirs. Why don't you go wake him? Why would anyone read or write a memoir? Don't you think we can learn from other people's experiences? Learn from a bunch of lies and self-deceptions? Since I've achieved all my goals as president in one term, there was no need for a second. The end. I don't think that putting something in story form means that you're fictionalizing. Uh, you're just presenting your experience in a way that is actually intelligible. Our guest is Helena DePress, author of Artful Truths, The Philosophy of Memoir. Mmm, good memoirs. The Scandalous Truth About Memoir. Good, not great. Coming up on Philosophy Talk. What can memoir do that other genres can't? Is it even possible to tell the whole truth about your life? And when is it okay to reveal other people's secrets? Welcome to Philosophy Talk, the program that questions everything. Except your intelligence. I'm Josh Landy. And I'm Ray Briggs. We're coming to you via the studios of KALW San Francisco Bay Area. Continuing conversations that begin at Philosopher's Corner on the Stanford campus, where Ray teaches philosophy, and I direct the Philosophy and Literature Initiative, which is sponsoring today's episode. And today, we'll be thinking about the scandalous truth about memoir. You know, Ray, I love reading memoirs, but I, I could never write one. Yeah, come on, Josh. Don't you want everybody to know the truth about your sordid life? <laughs> if only my life were that interesting. But I, I feel like my memoir would probably be called the Not Particularly Shocking, the Josh Landy story. I mean, given how dull and uneventful my life has been, I feel like I'd be forced to make half of it up. Yeah, what's the problem with that? I mean, everybody embellishes a little bit when they tell stories, especially when they're talking about their own lives. You can't just embellish in your memoir. I mean, either you're there to tell people what actually happened, or you're inventing things, in which case, you know, just write a novel. Ah, come on, it's fine to fudge a few details as long as you get at the essential truth of your life. But some details just can't be fudged. I mean, think about Herman Rosenblatt's memoir, right? He, he claimed he met his future wife when he was a, a child at Buchenwald, right, a prisoner in a concentration camp, he claimed she was feeding him apples through the fence. That turned out to be complete hogwash, right? You can't lie about stuff like that. It turned out he met her as an adult on a blind date. Oh, come on. I'm not saying it's okay to just, like, make stuff up wholesale. But if you don't remember, like, the exact words of a conversation... It's fine to just fill them in the best you can, as long as it just captures what happened. Well, you can try, but you're never going to be able to remember things accurately enough. Plus, the very act of trying to turn a memory into a story, that's going to distort it. It's like that bit in Jean-Paul Sartre's novel Nausea. There's no such thing as true stories. Events take place one way, and we tell them another. Hey, wait a minute. One minute you're complaining that somebody is lying in their memoir. Now you're saying there's no difference between truth and lies? Well, okay, right. I mean, not all stories are lies, but, but memoirs are especially likely to be dodgy. We just don't know ourselves very well. And it's incredibly tempting to paint ourselves as great heroes, especially when we're writing about our own lives. Yeah, okay, it's tempting, but a good memoirist is going to resist that temptation. You know, they, they're going to read their own, old diaries or, or check public records and correspondence or, or talk to their friends and family. Oh, friends and family, that's the biggest reason not to write a memoir. I mean, I don't have 
sordid secrets of my own, I hope. But, uh, you know, I'm going to be tempted to reveal someone else's if I ever write a memoir. And then they'd all hate me, even more than they already do. Yeah, but Josh, other people's stories can be part of your story. L like if you're in a relationship, the story doesn't just belong to the other person. It belongs to both of you. So, so sure, like don't gossip unnecessarily. But I don't think you owe it to people never to talk about anything they did. Okay, but, but who gets to decide, you know, what's just nasty gossip versus what's a necessary part of your story? Well, just think about what a reasonable person would think if they read your book. Would they pick it up and say, well, that, that detail really helped me understand the story? Or, or would they just think, oh, he's just being salacious and out to sell more books? I, I don't know. I, I just don't care what some abstract, reasonable person would think. I mean, whether or not it's reasonable, if it's going to upset my friends and family, I, I think it's wrong. No, I think sometimes morality actually requires you to reveal the stuff that people are hiding. Like, what if somebody is secretly embezzling money? Or, or what if they're abusing their partner or children? Yeah, that's actually a, a good point. That does sound like a very real reason for revealing some secrets. Uh, the thing I'm still not sure about, though, Ray, is whether it's even possible for a memoirist to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. Well, I bet our guest will have more to say about that. It's Helena DeBress, author of Artful Truths, The Philosophy of Memoir. I can't wait to talk with her. But first, why are today's audiences so interested in true stories? Since 2013, nonfiction's actually been outselling fiction. So we sent our roving philosophical reporter, Shireen Adel, to look at how recent trends have changed the way we think about truth in memoir. She files this report. Nonfiction was already on the rise when James Frey's memoir came out in 2003. You may remember it. It was called A Million Little Pieces, and it exploded in popularity when Oprah added it to her book club. It blew up even more when just a few months later, a report came out that showed huge sections of the book were made up. I, I don't know what is true, and I don't know what isn't. So first of all, I wanted to start with, with the smoking gun report titled The Man Who Conned Oprah. The events that the report looked at were easy to disprove. Frey said he was in jail for months, for example, and it turned out to be just a few hours. The investigation looked at police reports and court records, documents that showed the facts. The publisher clearly hadn't done much due diligence when it came to fact-checking. But what happens when someone is just misremembering, recalling things that happened a long time ago? What if the truth isn't so easy to prove? In 2010, when author Tom McAllister published his memoir, Bury Me in Jersey, he had to ask himself those questions. A big part of that memoir is uh, revolves around my father's death. He died when I was 21 uh, in 2003. So a lot of scenes were reconstructed memories of stuff I did with my dad in the 90s, basically, uh, including having to figure out did he actually say this? Do I remember this correctly? Did we actually go to this game together that I thought we went together? In the years following the Frey scandal, things had changed a bit. McAllister had to work with his publisher's lawyers to fact-check his work, though they weren't concerned about every single detail. I mean, their main charge is to make sure Random House doesn't get sued, and so it seemed like they were worried, especially about libel. Like, I had an uncle who was described in a, the draft that they had as a drunk and a loser, and we had to cut drunk because I couldn't document that he... Um, I felt that drunk is a subjective term. Uh, but it turns out, uh, from the lawyer's perspective, it was not at all. 
McAllister is one of three memoirists I talked to who shared their takes on what makes memoir nonfiction. I think most savvy readers understand that, you know, there's this sort of parenthetical after, you know, the statement when a memoirist says, this is the truth, parentheses, as it felt to me, close parentheses. Author Kathleen Rooney says she thinks what James Frey did was unethical, blatant lying. But she also likes that memoir leaves room for subjectivity. Sometimes um, the pretense of objectivity can be pretty damaging, and so I like that the memoir just doesn't pretend that. Rooney's memoir, Live Nude Girl, blends her experience as an art model with art history. Memoir kind of offers this opportunity to think about the difference between big institutional collective truth in harmony or in tandem with small individual subjective truth. For her, memoir is an opportunity to tell a nonfiction story using the techniques of fiction. You can create scenes and imagery. You might even have dialogue. And of course, you know, dialogue is a great example of what I'm getting at where, you know, when I was art modeling, I didn't literally sit there for 10 years, like with a recorder, making sure that I got everything that every artist or student said. But I do, I have dialogue in there and it is, you know, reported dialogue, recalled dialogue. So I did my best in a good faith way. Author Meredith Clark did record hers in real time as letters to a baby she thought she was going to have. Ultimately, her pregnancy resulted in a miscarriage. I don't really think that I had a choice <laughs> in, this, in this case. One of her favorite things about memoir is that it has so much flexibility. I think ultimately that's why the material found itself in that garment um, was that memoir just has so much generosity and capacity. The title of Clark's book, Liarbird, is a metaphor for her memoir. It's the name of an Australian bird whose mating call is an imitation of whatever it hears in its environment. There are these lyrebirds that live in a forest that play this flute song that somebody used to play back in the Australian forest in the 1940s. <laughs> um, or there are lyrebirds in the zoo that will mimic the sound of a zoo enclosure being built. Uh, like the hammer on the roof. And it's just this incredible gift. The lyrebird, she says, is the ultimate memoirist. For Philosophy Talk, I'm Shireen Adin. Want to hear more? You can find the complete episode on iTunes Music. Or for unlimited listening, become a subscriber at philosophytalk.org.